0: Well, we're going to switch gears this morning, and uh, we're going to do so with a story. And this story is one that uh, I remember hearing for the first time a couple of years ago, but I was reminded about it this week, and I thought, well, this would be perfect uh, for the day. I think uh, we could probably all use a laugh this morning. Amen? So we'll see if this does the trick. (laughs) But uh, this story uh, is a real story. It took place uh, back on December 2nd, two thousand. Nine. Um, it was actually a story that was published in a Chinese newspaper called The Telegraph. And um, I've condensed things a little bit, uh, but here's how the story goes. Uh, Mr. Zhang from Chongqing, China, uh, he signed a marital contract with his wife that gives her permission to beat him up once a week. And uh, Mr. Zhang said in this article, he said, I'm very competitive, I'm really hot-headed, and I never want to lose an argument. Uh, the only problem is that my wife... Uh, knows a little bit of martial arts. She knows Kung Fu. And so apparently when this couple gets into a heated discussion, as many couples do at times, uh, the wife, uh, according to this contract, is allowed to use her Kung Fu skills to beat up her husband, but only one time each week. And uh, now there's a clause in this contract. Again, this is a, this is a real thing. And um, it says that if she beats him up more than once, um, she has to stay at her in-law's house for three days. So that's her punishment. <laughs> for breaking the contract, and so as you can imagine, this stipulation kind of keeps her in check a little bit. Um, She went on to say in the article, now that we have this contract, uh, I have to force myself to drop the use of force so often, so she meant I guess she has to tailor it back to only once a week, (laughs) so the holidays are quickly approaching, and I think we all understand that the holidays are often hurtful for many people. You know, this is a time of increased stress, uh, anxiety, depression, uh, cultural expectations, uh, difficult family dynamics, and hurt because of the loss of of loved ones. And while the true meaning of the season is really meant to usher in hope and joy, uh, the holidays can be both physically and emotionally painful for many. I think about the term rigidly flexible this time of year. I hear uh, Dan, one of our elders, using this term all the time. Uh, but that's what I think about. You know, traveling from one location to another, having to adapt to other people's plans—that requires being rigidly flexible, does it not? Uh, you make plans, but you have to be willing to adapt if the plans change, and that's that's not always easy. Uh, Focus on the family is an online media ministry that my wife and I really love, and their sole purpose is to share the gospel with as many people as possible. Uh, by nurturing and affirming God's ordained institution of the family as it's given to us in his word. And so I would say this morning, if the holidays are often hurtful for you, uh, I would encourage you to read some of the articles on their website. Uh, They have resources that help people navigate holiday conflict, uh, how to navigate holiday uh, stress and even anger, which is what we're going to talk about today. And so if you have a Bible with you, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the New Testament, uh, the book of James chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 19 through 27 this morning. And If you don't have a Bible with you, um, there should be one in a seat rack close to you, and you're also free to use your phone or your tablet. We love the Uversion Bible app, and then we'll have the uh, words up on the screen this morning. And so I'm going to read this passage in its entirety, and then we'll go back and break it down into different sections and talk about some application for our lives today. So James chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 19, this is what we read. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious But don't control your tongue. You're fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So, most Bible scholars agree that the author of this letter is James, the brother of Jesus. And the purpose of this letter was to help and instruct early Jewish Christians by teaching them sound doctrine and then providing examples, the application for how Christians are called to live out their faith in this world. These first century believers had been scattered from their homes in Jerusalem, and they were forced to live in new areas where they were surrounded by hostile people groups and many false religions. And so how do you navigate that? How do you live out your faith in a situation like that? Well, James urged his audience to be genuine in their faith regardless of their circumstance. And man, there's so much application for that in our lives today. Obviously, we haven't been forced out of our homes, we haven't been forced to live in a new area. But I understand that um, not every Christian lives in a home with other believers. Not every Christian works at a place that's surrounded by other Christians. Not every student goes to a school where there are other young believers. And so, how do we live out our faith in these areas, in these situations? That it's not always easy to live out our faith. Well, a key theme in this letter is that when your relationship with Jesus is growing, when it's strong. It affects every other part of your life. And so a genuine faith will always produce good works. James talks about how a faith without works is dead. We can't accomplish the good works that God has planned in advance for us to do unless our faith in Christ is, is real. You can't have one without the other. And so with this in mind, James wrote, you must be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. This is part of the fruit that comes as a result of a growing faith. It's the result of what God's doing in our lives. I'm curious this morning, and this is more of a rhetorical question, so I'm going to need some group participation. Just think about this in your own mind. What's one thing that another person in your family does that really rubs you the wrong way, that makes you angry? Think about that for just a moment. What's one thing that another person, maybe in your home, does that makes you angry? For me, can I just share with you for a moment? I think I may have shared this once in the past, but uh, for me, it's when we get finished eating dinner or lunch if I'm at home and uh, the kids forget to wash their hands. That does it for me. In, in my mind, there is nothing worse than pizza sauce getting on the couch or popcorn grease getting all over the remote, all right? That is the absolute worst in my mind. And, and I'll have to admit, you know, when this happens, sometimes I get pretty upset. I, I get a little bit angry. And uh, I like to justify that in my own mind, but sometimes it's, it's not justified, And when I look back at these times, it seems crazy to be angry at something like this. And when I really think about it, I I do see a clear chain of events that led to having a response of anger. First, if you kind of trace back what James is saying, I wasn't quick to listen. I wasn't quick to listen. I didn't give my kids the opportunity to explain why they chose to not listen to mom and dad's instruction. And then two, again, what James is telling us here, I wasn't slow to speak. I verbalize what I was feeling inside before thinking and praying how I should have responded. Another way to say that is that, you know, I didn't allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me before I spoke to others. the result is often the kind of anger that James wrote about. And so some big questions for us this morning. Um, Where does anger come from? How can we learn to keep our anger in check? And is all anger bad? We're going to answer some of these questions, but first, we have to start with a biblical explanation of what anger is. That's going to lead us to our first point, if you're taking notes, that anger is a God-given emotion. Anger is a God-given emotion. The Bible teaches us that we are all image bearers of our Creator, And that that means a lot of things, but one thing that it means is that we're made in his likeness. Being made in the image of God means that we have all sorts of emotions, and one of those emotions is anger. Anger often gets a, a bad rap, does it not? It often gets a bad rap because it's a very strong emotion that's easily misunderstood, as we're going to talk about today, the goal is to learn how to make anger, the right kinds of anger, work for us and not against us. Now, it may come as no surprise to you, but God's word has a lot to say about anger. Uh, God clearly acknowledges the significance of this powerful emotion, and he has some clear instruction for his people for how we should deal with our anger. And the only emotion Uh, that the Bible mentions more than anger is love. We know love is not always an emotion. More times than not, I would say it's not just an emotion. But the only emotion the Bible uh, mentions more than anger is love. And anger first shows up all the way back in the first book of the Bible. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 5. It says this, uh, But he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very, and what's the word? Angry. And he looked dejected. That's the first time that we see anger, the word, show up in Scripture. The last reference that we have to anger is found in the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, uh, which says, From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath or anger of God. Same, same translation as we get our English word anger. The almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. And so in the Old Testament, anger um, is actually mentioned at least 450 times. So I think it's a big deal, right? At least 450 times. Um, 375 of those times refer to God's anger or his wrath and not man's anger. When we arrive in the New Testament, there are several different Greek words that are used for our English word anger. And um, the English language is interesting because we typically have one word and it can mean a lot of different things. And whereas in the Greek, you'll have several different words uh, that can point back to our one English word, but they tend to have a different meaning. All of these words do have a slightly different meaning. And so if we're going to learn how to be slow to anger, as James instructed, uh, we have to understand first and foremost, the kind of anger that we're experiencing. So let's look back to these two verses, James chapter one, nineteen and 20. James says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, and that's where we get the sermon title for today, understanding anger, right? James is telling his audience, you need to understand this. This is something that I want you to learn and I want you to live. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, and so apparently this kind of righteousness, it's a, it's a human, uh, ang- this kind of anger, I mean, is a human anger that does not produce the kind of holiness, the kind of righteous living that God desires. And you can trace that back and you see the end result being anger and then become, what comes before that is being slow to speak and then not being quick to listen. So you can see the chain of events in our lives. So what, what is the type of anger here that James is talking about? Well, it's the Greek word gay. O-R-G-E, or gay. This is the most common type of anger that we see referenced in the New Testament. Um, This type of anger, if I had to describe it, it's a long-lasting anger that would be similar to the coals on a barbecue that slowly warm up to red, and then they hold their temperature when they turn white. So that's a good word picture for you this morning. That's this kind of anger. Um, this type of anger almost always includes revenge. It almost always includes trying to have the last word. It's not a healthy kind of anger, which is why James said, this kind of anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Another kind of anger is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. The Apostle Paul uh, wrote these words, Uh, to Christians in Ephesus. We see anger show up twice here. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Does he say, don't get angry? No, he says, in your anger. So the assumption here is that you're going to get angry, right? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. There's two words here, angry. Uh, It's used twice. Um, It's two different Greek words. Um, The first word is orgizo. Orgidzo, O-R-G-I-D-Z-O, orgidzo. This is the word that's used when the Apostle Paul wrote, um, in your anger, do not sin. Uh, This type of anger is different from what we see in James. Uh, This type of anger is being angry at all the right kinds of things. It's positive when it's inspired by God. Uh, It's being angry at sin. Being angry at evil or injustice in the world. Anger is always negative when it comes from the flesh. uh, Unnecessarily lashing out at others rather than controlling your emotions. And so Paul was reminding his audience that while anger is a God-given emotion, right? We're all going to experience anger. He's saying, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, even the right kinds of anger don't sin. We want anger to work for us and not against us. So he took things a step further by using the Greek word uh, paragismos. Paragismos. Uh, He wrote, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. We always refer to this in premarital counseling. This is a great place to go. It's a great biblical uh, truth principle that can help build strong godly marriages. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Again, this is the kind of anger that we're encouraged to have. Anger that's provoked by hurt or injustice in the world. But even when you're angry at the right kinds of things, you should never allow the sun to go down while you're still angry. Why is that? There's several reasons, but one, it opens the door for Satan to work in our lives. To affect our lives. It it allows the anger, anger that we're feeling to take root in our lives, to grow and to develop into something that God never intended for it to be. God allows us to experience anger for a number of reasons. One is because there are certain kinds of anger that we should have towards certain situations, we should be angry about certain things. We should never allow our anger to take over our lives. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And so again, anger is a God-given emotion, but it's important to understand what kind of anger you're experiencing. Are you orgay angry? You know, the kind of anger that wants to lash out to get revenge, to have the last word in a fight? Or are you orgizo angry? The kind of anger you feel towards evil and injustice in the world. And so regardless of the kind of anger that we feel, it doesn't matter what kind it is, um, we should never allow our anger to turn into sin. We should do everything that we can with God's help to resolve the issue before the sun goes down. And so for some of you, that may mean having a conversation. A crucial conversation is what I like to call them. These are the conversations that are not always easy, but they're crucial. They're necessary. And I've, I've found that when you engage in these crucial conversations and you do it in a biblical way, um, God honors that. He blesses that. You come out on the other side um, reassured that God is working. You have a renewed sense of joy and hope in your life. And so for some of you, you may need to have one of those crucial conversations with someone today before the sun goes down. Don't allow the sun to go down while you're still angry. Number two, if you're taking notes... Anger is often a warning telling me to stop, look, and listen. It's often a warning telling me to stop, look, and listen. And so we know that that anger is what's called a secondary emotion. What what does that mean? It's a secondary emotion that means it's usually experienced in response to a primary emotion like pain, hurt, uh, fear, or, or disappointment. Right, You're walking in your house and you don't have shoes on and you stub your toe on the corner and man, you, get, you lash out in anger. It hurts so bad. You didn't just get angry for the sake of being angry. No, that anger came from somewhere. It came from pain. It came from hurt. Right. So it's a secondary emotion um, that we experience as a result of that primary emotion that is the foundation. Just below the surface of your anger is the primary emotion that God wants to address. The difficult part about controlling our anger is that um, it's usually the first emotion that we see when we experience that, that primary emotion like one of the ones I just mentioned. And so, I would say that anger is an emotion that God wants to use to get our attention, to make us more aware of the opportunities that he's put in front of us uh, to learn, to grow, to mature, to make significant changes in our lives for the good. Anger is an emotion has tremendous potential for both good and evil. And this is why we need to understand it and make it work for us and not against us, for God's glory and for our good. Growing up, I was a pretty angry kid at times. I remember my mom saying no uh, on several occasions when I wanted a new toy at the store. And then in my anger, I would throw my entire self flat to the floor and I would have to be uh, dragged out to the car against my own free will. I <laughs> wonder if that happened to anybody else. <laughs> I also remember my parents telling me that I couldn't stay the night at a friend's house on multiple occasions. And hearing this rejection, I would lash out in anger. I would run to my room. I would slam my door. And I would bury my face in my pillow. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> right? Right? Good answer. No, I don't. As I've grown up, I've been able to look back and see that underneath the anger was the primary emotion of disappointment. That's what led to me being angry. And learning about disappointment showed me that I really wasn't honoring my mom and my dad the way I should have. God wanted to use my anger as a warning to help me stop, look, and listen to the greater issue that was going on in my life. I wasn't honoring my parents in the right way. I think more times than not, there's a lesson to be learned in our anger. The anger that we experience is kind of like a smoke detector. It lets us know that there's a greater problem, right? You pull the alarm or someone else pulls the alarm. You hear it go off. The main issue isn't the annoying noise, is it? No, there's, there's something else happening, And it's the same thing with our anger. The anger is kind of the annoying noise. (laughs) There's something else going on underneath the surface. I've found that when I'm angry at another person, God is usually trying to help me address a deeper issue. There's almost always something going on underneath the surface. And so the question that I have for you today is this. Are you going to allow God to help you address whatever that is? Are you going to be honest about that? Will you stop, look, and listen as God works on the deepest parts of your life, molding you into the person that he's created you to be? Again, that may require one of those crucial conversations with somebody. It may start with an apology and a request of forgiveness. And when God works on our lives, it's never comfortable, is it? I would say if you're following Jesus, if you say that you're following Jesus, but you're not noticing any kind of change in your life, you may not be following Jesus. And that's the case in this area as well. Number 3, if you're taking notes, I can choose to spend or invest my anger. I can choose to spend or invest my anger. So we've kind of established anger is a very powerful emotion. We we can choose to spend or invest in, when we choose to direct our anger in healthy, positive, and constructive ways, and when we choose to communicate it first and foremost in biblically consistent ways, we're able to solve problems, to increase trust with other people, and deepen our relationship with God and others. Or, we can allow our anger to control us. If the anger that you're experiencing goes unchecked. It will begin to take root in your life, eventually growing into something that God never intended for it to be. And I'll tell you what, when the roots roots grow and they grow strong, it's harder and harder to remove the problem. So healthy anger involves open and honest and direct communication. It involves speaking the truth in love, as Ephesians 4.15 says. It involves investing the emotion of anger that God has given you to declare truth, to right wrongs, and to help yourself and others become conformed to the image of Christ, as Romans 8.29 says. And so anger is, is often misunderstood and, as a result, wrongly used. But when we begin to understand that anger is a natural and normal response to a variety of life circumstances that we should be angry about certain things um, we can allow God to help us use this emotion for good anger is a God-given emotion it's intended to protect and help us grow as followers of Jesus but anger is also that warning telling us to stop look and listen Remember, it's a secondary emotion that's usually experienced in response to a primary emotion like hurt, pain, fear, or disappointment. And so maybe today, some of that work that you need to do is to try to figure out what's really going on underneath the surface. You may have carried anger and and hurt with you for, for many years now. What's really going on underneath the surface? And will you be honest about that? And will you allow God to work on the deepest parts of your life? And will you rely, rely on the people that God's put in your life to speak truth into your life and to help highlight some of these things? We call that accountability. In our anger, we should allow God to work in our lives to address the greater issue. And finally, anger is an emotion that you know, we can choose to spend or invest. When we spend it, we, we allow our anger to control us, to get the best of us. When we invest it, we communicate it in biblically consistent ways. We, we solve problems, we increase trust, we deepen our relationship with God and others. And so ideally, we would learn how to deal with our anger before it gets the best of us, right? But that's not always the case. <laughs> we're human, we're sinners by nature and by choice. And so we're going we're gonna to miss the mark. So what's what's some of the practical application here? Let Let me give you four very quick things in closing. And we'll do so under this banner of a question. How can I begin to address my anger? How can I begin to address my anger? And we'll have these up on the screen as well. Number one, it's important to recognize if anger is a problem for you. It's important to recognize, is anger a problem for you? Are you denying, are you suppressing, or ignoring anger in your life? Do you... Express your anger in unhealthy and sinful ways, whether it's how you talk to your spouse or your kids or your coworkers, or your neighbors. And I would say that unhealthy anger and sinful anger doesn't always have to be expressed outwardly. It can also be harbored internally. Maybe you're the kind of person that fights cold. You don't fight so hot and everybody sees it. You fight cold. You just store it up inside until one day, inevitably, it just, it just comes out. That's really the first step when it comes to dealing with it correctly. And number two, um, take it to the Lord in prayer. Take it to the Lord. Be honest with God about what's going on in your life. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse five, the Apostle Paul encourages us to take, thought, uh, to take every, captive, I'm sorry, to take every thought captive in the obedience of Christ. Let me say that one more time. Paul encourages us to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. So take your concerns, your frustrations, your fears, your anger to the Lord. Trust that he can help you through whatever it is that you're going through this season. Third, and this often I think is the hardest, but you have to accept responsibility for your anger. Instead of blaming others, you have to own it. Like I get people are difficult, people are challenging. I understand that living with, However many people live with you under your roof is not always easy. But they are not responsible for your actions, and you're not responsible for theirs. You have to own your anger. You can't control how others treat you or talk to you, but you can control how you respond. The Bible tells us, as far as it depends on you, seek to live at peace with everyone. Does that say as far as it depends on everybody else? No, as far as it depends on you, seek to live at peace with others. And then finally, you're gonna have to make a decision about who or what is gonna have control. Will anger dominate and control your life or with the help of the Holy Spirit, will you invest your anger in healthy ways? And so in prayer, ask God to help you invest it in the right ways. This is one of those messages that I think will affect people differently depending on where you're at in your life. What I want to encourage you not to do this morning is to look at the person next to you who has an anger problem and point the finger. (laughs) It's so easy to do that. This is about you this morning, about what God's doing in and through your life and addressing maybe some of the more difficult things that you have not wanted to address. So husbands and wives, none of this this morning. <laughs> we're going to open the word and we're going to allow it to go to work on our lives this week. Amen? Amen. I want to encourage you to go back and read James 1 if you have some free time. It wouldn't, shouldn't take long. And to pray about that, to ask God to reveal to you the areas in your life um, where maybe you're experiencing uh, the unrighteous kind of anger, a sinful kind of anger, and the areas where we need to be angry, the things that we need to be angry about, the evil, the injustice that we see in the world, and to have the correct response to those things. Amen?